welcome to the Masters in Psychology podcast, where psychology students can learn from psychologists, educators, and practitioners to better understand what they do, how they got there, and hear the advice they have for those interested in getting a graduate degree in psychology. I'm your host, Brad Schumacher, and today we welcome Dr. Rhonda Goldman to the show. Dr. Goldman is a professor in the clinical psychology department at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She runs a private practice, Emotion Focused Therapy Chicago, where she works with both individuals and couples. She is also involved with the Emotion Focused Therapy Institute and is past president of the Society for the Exploration of Psychotherapy Integration. Today, we will learn more about her academic journey and get a better understanding of emotion focused therapy. Dr. Goldman, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about emotion-focused therapy or EFT. But first, Mm -hmm. can Mm -hmm. you tell us, um, do you remember the first time you became interested in psychology? Yeah. Um, Well, of course, it goes way back. And it goes all the way back to high school days. I can remember sitting in psychology class um, with our teacher talking about uh, psychology and experimenting. And I just thought it sounded so cool. So cool. And and I know ever since then, um, you know, you actually received all of your degrees and it's, it's rare. You're my first guest, actually, now I'm thinking out loud, that mm-hmm. has received their undergrad and graduate degrees at the same yeah. university. So you attended York University in Toronto, Ontario, mm-hmm. Canada. How mm-hmm. did you uh, choose York University? Yeah, no, that's, it's interesting that you point that out because um, I, I mean, along the way, you know, I went to York initially, grew up in, in Canada, in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, Canada. And at that point, I was attracted to York as an undergraduate because it had such a good reputation as a psych, you know, for psychology. And, and as I said, I really knew what I wanted to do very early on. You know, that I was I was I considered myself lucky in that way that I was so kind of clear about that from an early age, and that that hasn't really ever waned. Um, so anyway, I I wanted to go to York because they hadn't this reputation for having a great psychology program. So I went there for undergrad and then, you know, and people would say along the way, well, you know, maybe you should look at other programs for graduate school. And because, you know, you don't want to do all your degrees at the same university. But the thing is that I found so much there. And then it was like even better for graduate work. You know, Um, it had a, the graduate program was considered, you know, the top clinical psychology program in the country at that point and and so I was like okay and then you know that that I knew people and and then I knew I was going to receive good mentorship and that was so important so I just stayed (laughs) really it was it was a very exciting uh place to study I was I got really lucky well, it sounds like it. And and you're not the only one. I remember my advisors in undergrad and grad school saying, no, you should expand and explore and attend other colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mm-hmm. look good if you stay at the same one. I doubt that you, I never, when I uh, applied for uh, jobs, nobody ever said, Brad, I noticed you went to the same university for yeah. all of your, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't think anybody said that to you either, right? I mean, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, they sometimes ask me about about it, like you are, <laughs> right. but but they're not. Nobody sort of questions that. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. No, it's interesting that you brought that up because uh, it, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages of staying at the same university. But you already yeah. pointed out some of the advantages: is you felt comfortable, you knew the staff, and you knew the faculty. And you knew that you would receive good mentorship. And so that's the reason. Now, when you did go through your master's and your doctorate um, at, uh, at York University, uh, mm-hmm. tell us um, how uh, the funding works there. If somebody is interested, because we rarely mm-hmm. have guests that talk about ca- Canadian you know, universities <laughs> in the United States. When you go mm-hmm. for your PhD, mm-hmm. it's more likely that you are going to get some sort of funding uh, right. or, or uh, you know, tuition reimbursement or mm-hmm. waiver or something. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about how it works in Canada. 
Okay. So, I mean, it's been a while since I was there, but I'll say this, that, um, you know, Canadian universities are typically tuition wise, they're typically not as, the tuitions are not as high as they are in the United States, right? So that's mm -hmm. now if you're paying international fees, that increases, but, but in general, you know, it's, so it wasn't so, the tuition wasn't so crazy at the time. Um, but also you can apply for scholarships and I got some scholarships and, you know, and through graduate school, I did teaching assistantships, research assistantships. Um, and I basically was able to, I, I had my, my experience, my educational experience funded. So it wasn't like at the graduate level, I wasn't paying out. Mm -hmm. um, so, so one can do that in Canada has some good scholarship, uh, agencies that you can apply to as a matter of fact, and you can get funding. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's not a guarantee. I understand that, <laughs> but, but yeah, it wasn't, it, di it didn't break me. You know, I hear these stories of people also like finishing graduate school and just paying back debt for years and years. And that was not my experience. I got really lucky in that way as well. Well, it sounds like it, and and you're exactly right. Some people, depending on if they're even aware of some of those ways to offset some of the tuition, uh, a TA or a, a GA or you mm -hmm. know anything along those lines, they might not even be aware. I remember talking to one of my guests, and he wasn't even aware of the difference between a psychiatrist and psychologist until he started talking yeah. to people. Um, he thought yeah. that uh, he should just go one route, and then all of a sudden, oh, this this exists and yeah that, absolutely. That seems, yeah that seems more appropriate for what what i'd like to do and so um the other thing that i think a lot of people don't realize too dr goldman is that uh if you go to a, a terminal master's program uh, mm -hmm. or attend a terminal master's program usually you don't get as much funding um for that versus a a doctorate right. at least in, the, in the united states here and so i just wanted to share that with our audience because that's something that uh, they might not be aware of um, you mentioned earlier that you knew from very early on, I want to do psychology. Um, yeah. you're probably not the, there's probably a large portion that are in, in the same boat, but I would suspect that there might be a larger portion that don't know that. And so do you have any advice uh, to those who are considering, uh, entering the psychology field and, and how would they help determine if it's right for them? Well, you know, something else that I would recommend is when you're in your undergraduate program, um, go out and talk to professors as much as possible. Um, you know, I would also say that the connections that I made with people, um, the mentorship that I received was, is, you know, has been really fundamental for me in building my career. Um, and so and the other thing I would also say, and, and this fits in with me being an emotion-focused therapy, is that I'm very experiential, right? I learn through experiences. Mm -hmm. And and I, I sort of often will set myself up to have experiences and so then and to see, you know, see what I what I like. And and so what I'd say is when you're an undergraduate, and and by the way, this is only going to help you in the long run, um, if once you're applying to schools is Go to people's labs and, you know, volunteer if you need to um, and, and do the work with them, you know, as much as possible. Get to know a professor, get to know professors, do the work in their lab, work in, you know, volunteer to have these experiences and just see, sort of see how does this work and is this what I want to do? Because, you know, like research is a part of it, too. And some people like research and some people like research less and <laughs> some people want to emphasize more on the clinical piece. And, and you know, I get that. I, I, I like both. Um, I can talk about how I evolved in that way. But, but um, you know, and I teach at a school right now that's, that's more clinically focused. And, you know, that's, we can talk about that as well. But I would say, like, if you're asking me the question of, like, what should people do to try to prepare or try to decide is just try to have these experiences as much as possible and see what you like and get a behind the scenes look at how it works and and then you can decide whether this is something you want to pursue 
Very good advice. Um, get out, uh, um, either volunteer or apply to help out with the labs. I, I talked to somebody else online who is outside of the United States, and she's trying to apply for graduate school in the United States. And she shared that most of the universities were asking her to have more lab experience. Her reply was, well, where I am from, India, we don't mm -hmm. have many lab opportunities mm -hmm. yeah. in, in schools. And so you kind of feel for them. And so in addition mm -hmm. to labs, I would also try to get involved more on the research side and, and help out mm -hmm. so you can get some publications or presentations yeah. or attend yeah. conferences. That yeah. will also help and show you're, you're dedicated and very interested in the field. Absolutely. And again, you know, this is, we're talking about the field of clinical psychology, which is often, you know, have a more applied field. And so, you know, you may do volunteer experience and in a place where you can act, you know, in a more clinical applied role, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, I mean, you could also maybe get a job like that where you're being paid for that, but you could also do volunteer if it's possible. And, you know, I also sit on, I, I, I do a lot of admissions interviews um, in my school and I look at what I look for when I meet with students and, and like experience, you know, when they talk about their volunteer experience where they can be specific about it, their clinical experience, their research experience, their lab experience, their, as you said, publications, uh, conferences, conference presentations. That all just shows that they're interested and that they can do it, and that they're dedicated. So I would also recommend that, yeah. So here's a question that I, I didn't share with you yet was, I often see some of our guests and, and people I talk to outside of the show trying to decide whether or not they should go for their PhD versus a PsyD. Mm -hmm. And um, what are your thoughts on, you know, why would you use a PsyD or go for a PsyD instead of a PhD or vice versa? Just picking your brain on your thoughts mm -hmm. and your experiences on PsyD versus PhD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a PhD, but then I teach in a PsyD program, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of really do know both of them. And I would say that uh, the PsyD is a little bit more clinically focused, right? I mean, students will often come because they really want to get a really strong clinical training and, and they do get that from our program, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, we are, uh, the program I teach in is an APA accredited program. And as such, research is really important. Research is a part of learning the field and, and learning what, what, you know, the, the scholarship is there, um, what research findings are, how they affect our knowledge, how they've informed us. Um, they still have to do research in um, the program and when we, they work with us, but it's um, less of a sort of specific focus as much as it is in a PhD program. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, I think in PhD, there's some PhD programs that, emphasize clinical work a little bit more and there's some that are more um research oriented so so it, it depends on what you want to do and when you're done mm -hmm. <laughs> i think um but it's it's like i think the society program is a little bit more applied um and you'll you may go through it with a bigger cohort right um in the society program but then that's kind of nice too because then you form a strong relationship with your peers and sure. and so there are differences but yeah that sort of gives you a sense i think okay well thank you for sharing uh before we move away from york university what are some of the fond memories i know that you said the mentorship and and mm -hmm. everybody you know knowing the faculty any other fond memories of your experiences at york university um I have a lot of fun memories of, of like <laughs> of my experiences at York. Um, There's really, you know, it was just, it was such a great place to work because, you know, I worked under Leslie Greenberg um, and this was a time where we were very involved in the development of emotion focused therapy. Mm -hmm. And, 
and you know I had been exposed to client-centered therapy and gestalt therapy and and then um, and they all everything made sense to me these more and these more experiential therapies I'll, I'll say that that they that was really making a lot of sense to me and then you know Les was really involved in developing this approach and and so I sort of got on board mm-hmm. at that point in developing the approach with him and doing research and so we would do these psychotherapy research studies so I got my psych, my training right that way um, I got to to meet like you know we were really doing psychotherapy research so we'd like advertise to the community we'd bring people in for to work on specific problems like depression and um and, and so I, it was just this great opportunity to feel like we were really doing something important and interesting and meaningful and we were a part of something and I was a part of the development of it and and so and then I had a lot of other we were all working on it together with my with my friends and I made really good relationships with my friends and and with Les. I had Les was also, you know, he was incredibly, you know, he's an incredibly, you know, smart guy. And and so he had so much to offer. And and then so I was learning so much, but also like there was so much doing and we were all in this together. And so I know it's not a specific memory, but it was just like the, the, the total package of it, you know, that was great. Well, that's, I wasn't asking for anything specific. It could be anything and mm-hmm. that comes to your mind. It's the mm-hmm. feeling. What I, what I hear you saying, mm-hmm. Dr. Goldman is it was, it was the feeling that camaraderie um, that yeah. we're in this together, as you said, and, and it must've been exciting to develop a new approach um, because, you know, yeah. being on board and, and, and working with Dr. Greenberg about that and, and, and moving forward with that, because as we're going to discuss yeah. a little bit later, that's what your main focus is on and, and many of your books and publications and, and research has been about. But before I switch there, I'm kind of yeah. going through your 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 academic journey kind of chronologically. Yeah. And sure, sure, so, sure. So after you finished York University, I believe you taught at the Illinois School of Professional Psychology for mm-hmm. over 22 years or around 22 years. So how did you mm-hmm. find that opportunity? Yeah, so then at the as my graduate studies were coming to a close, I was in the position of looking for an academic job, just like uh, many, many before me and many since. And so I was really searching around and um, I saw this job advertised at the Illinois School and it was in Chicago and that sounded uh, pretty interesting to me. And um, it was very focused on clinical training, right? So I, I was always very, this does go back to my sort of academic journey to some extent because um, I really liked doing research, as I was telling you, because I was doing this more applied research. Um, and so I knew I wanted to keep doing that, but I also liked the idea of really hands-on kind of experiential learning and experiential training. And so there, there was something about the way that um, this job was, was advertised, actually, that I, I thought, yeah, that sounds interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, could, I could really enjoy doing that. So then I applied, and that's what happened. And then okay. I stayed all those years. <laughs> it, yeah, you definitely must have enjoyed it because you stayed for about 22 years now. Mm-hmm. For, for our guests and our listeners, you know, who are uh, about to graduate with their degrees and enter the uh, academic world, can mm-hmm. you kind of recall your, the steps that you took in order to start um, applying for jobs and, and just kind of mm-hmm. reflect on what you did and, and what worked well, maybe what uh, you would have changed uh, or any advice that you might have for those who are about to graduate and then start applying for different jobs? Any advice for them? So, so again, like you, like you named, we're going back a number of years um, and things have changed so much, really, really changed in that way. I, I think in terms of these communications and how things get out there and so back then we were like I was just looking at all kinds of job ads in like the APA monitor Mm -hmm. and um, chronicles of higher education and you know some of these 
these publications where jobs were listed. And now I, I'm sure it would be all a lot more electronic than what was going on back then. But I mean, it was, we were still, we had computers, right? It wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that, that um, you know, the internet's exploded really since then. Um, and so, yeah, we were just all, and again, like you can hear me saying we, because it, some of my peers in my colleagues were also looking for jobs and so you know we always rely on the people around you for support and so I did and yeah so I was like combing through different and I did go on different job interviews and that was really important to get academic experience or job doing these job interviews because they're very you know I don't know if people are familiar with academic applying for academic positions but it's tough and um and you have to, it's good to do a few <laughs> mm-hmm. um, along the way and, you know, just try. Um, so is that like, is that what you're asking me about? Kind of? Yeah, I, you know, like I, I just, I just wanted to get an idea of what you uh, went through. And of course, technology has changed mm-hmm. and we can all mm-hmm. find, um, you know, different mm-hmm. ways of doing that versus, mm-hmm. you know, another thing that comes to mind, Dr. Goldman, is back then uh, it was probably you had to, you had to, the way that you found the jobs, as you mentioned, is different than today. And then the way mm-hmm. that you physically applied for the jobs is different mm-hmm. than today. Back then, you probably mm-hmm. mailed everything to, you know, the, <laughs> the, the prospective uh, mm-hmm. employer back then. And now you can mm-hmm. email and, and send yeah. everything electronically. Yeah. One thing that email I- was just exploding at that point. And we, I think I was doing both. We were mailing and emailing. And, yeah. But, okay. but yeah, now everything's electronic. The other thing that I wanted to point out before I move on to the next question for you is I think this hasn't changed all that much where a lot of people may think, oh, I'm applying for this job and I'll go and uh, visit the campus and then yeah. visit with with whoever is, is in charge of that uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, job search. But in actuality, you're probably going to meet with multiple people and multiple departments um, mm-hmm. at least when I went through that, uh, um, yeah. I, I met with three or four different people from three or four d- different departments, um, mm-hmm. because they wanted to get a better understanding of who you are, your experiences, yeah. and then, and then yeah. come back on the committee and say, okay, based on, you know, yeah. my interaction with Brad or, or, or Rhonda here are my thoughts. And so any, yeah. any other, um, you know, thoughts regarding that? Yeah. No, I think that that's that's correct. Um, so yeah, people have to sort of. I mean, I think now, especially these days, we're just sort of in the coming out of the pandemic. We're not even sure where we are in relation to the pandemic, but um, everything's happening over Zoom, right? Um, and so I think people have to be prepared for that possibility too. But the idea that you would meet with all these different people from different departments is very important. And then I would also say in that process, I mean, it's hard, as I said, because you're, you may be slammed with like a lot of different interviews with a lot of different people coming from different perspectives. And I remember that, but also it's a good opportunity for you to really see like, is this a good fit for me? Right? Like, mm-hmm. am I going to like it here? Um, are these people, um, can I fit into this department? Am I going to be able to do what I want to do in my career? Right. So mm-hmm. I think you can kind of make sure that you really understand it from your perspective. Very good reminder. Yes. Uh, it's not only them uh, seeking you, but you're also seeking the right mm-hmm. uh, appointment mm-hmm. and, and uh, university for your work moving forward. Mm-hmm. You are you are a full professor in the clinical psychology department at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Tell us how you found this opportunity, and what did you just move from the Illinois School um, over to this? Or I I didn't see anything in between there. Looking at your uh, history, so uh, I want to make sure that I'm covering everything. Yeah, no, I, I well, so the Illinois School closed. Illinois School was part of Argosy University, and the whole university just kind of shut down one day. That's a long story, but that's what happened. And um, to some extent, it was merged with the Chicago School, school of Professional Psychology, okay. to some extent. Um, it wasn't, I mean, the Illinois School was then bought out by another university. It's a long story, but 
But basically, some of us came over to the Chicago School, and the Chicago School was just extremely um, welcoming and open and inviting to me. So um, I'm very great. I was very grateful for that opportunity. But yeah, it was a, you know, and it, it, it was a similar position to the one that I had at the Illinois School. So it made a lot of sense for me. Okay. The, you had mentioned um, that you knew psychology uh, was, mm-hmm. was what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Was it, was it until you started working with Dr. Greenberg um, Hmm. That you found out about EFT and started working and developing on that with with uh, Dr. Greenberg, or were you interested in that even before, and then you sought out Dr. Greenberg? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good question. I mean, so I, it's hard to recall exactly the progression, right? But I do remember that I was very um, interested. It, it was sort of together, right? So, so. So I think I took courses and then maybe it was through him that I was introduced to client-centered therapy and to gestalt therapy. And and, and I really liked that. And then I liked him, right? So it was both at the same time. What was interesting, though, is that when I started out, if you talked to me as an undergrad, I would have probably said, you know, I just want to be a psychotherapist. Like, And this is, I was very clear about that, that I wanted to be a psychotherapist. And, you know, I, I, I turns out I am and, and I still am. But that's just like one of my hats, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so graduate school was where that really expanded, right? So not only did I get the clinical training, but then doing this research, as I've said, was really important. And that actually really helped my clinical training as well. But yeah, so like once I discovered there that I could do psychotherapy research, you know, and, and that, and it was not just focused on like the outcome of psychotherapy it was focused on the process of psychotherapy, which is to say like how psychotherapy works and how the change process happens in therapy. So I think that knowing that research could be that was really important. So then I started, Oh, I like research. Oh, okay. And then like, Oh, well, I don't want to teach, but then, you know, I started, you know, because when you're a graduate school, graduate student, you do teaching assistant positions often. And so then I started teaching. I was like, oh, but I like this. As long as it's like teaching what I want to teach, you know, and things that interest me. So then I started realizing, oh, I can teach and I can do research and I can be a therapist. And and this is really expansive now, you know. So, so I don't know if that's what you're asking exactly, but um, I think that was kind of what the trajectory and what happened. Yeah, no, you answered my question. I just wanted to kind of get a better understanding of how you uh, became involved and found, um, you know, EFT and and up for a moment. And for those who um, haven't uh, heard of or talked about or learned of uh, EFT, EFT stands for emotion focused therapy. Sometimes people call it emotionally focused therapy. Um, but tell us kind of in your own words, what is EFT? And, you know, based on my research, it, it includes elements of experiential therapy, such mm-hmm. as person-centered, you, you mentioned that, and gestalt mm-hmm. therapy, mm-hmm. and it's a combination of those as well as mm-hmm. systemic therapy uh, and, mm-hmm. and maybe even attachment therapy. So in mm-hmm. your own words, mm-hmm. kind of tell our mm-hmm. audience, what is EFT? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's all the things you said. Um and it's it sort of is this blending and just an integration of these different psychotherapy approaches. I'd say that um, it's a bit you're kind of a bit frozen right now. Okay, you came back. All right. Um, I'd say that it's um, it's been updated with uh, modern emotion theory, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of emotion theory that supports uh, the, the therapy, the approach. Um, but yeah, it, it's really like this uh, client-centered therapeutic relationship that you form with the client. Um, that's this, this. So the relationship is very key, right? Because it creates a lot of emotional safety, which I think you need. And then um, from that place, you're kind of going inside and working with people's visceral 
bodily felt experience. Another um, therapy that's kind of been integrated here is an, called focusing oriented th- psychotherapy, which has a strong focus on the body. And um, and so so there's a strong focus on visceral, bodily felt, emotional experience and bringing it to life in session and then working with it in, in different ways in therapy to try to, to, to shift it, right? Because basically we see and we think and we've observed that emotional processing problems are the source of a lot of the difficulties that people bring into therapy. And so we're going to really go to them and try to work with your emotions as they're happening and so that we can basically shift them and transform them through the therapy process so yeah okay well thank you i I, i'm glad that uh you kind of elaborate a little bit more on that because there are Mm -hmm. some people that you know there's so many different types of therapy out there that um you know some people might not have heard of or Mm -hmm. or, uh, researched eft yet so and another thing i should probably add is um that it's an approach that's, you know, as I said, I was part of the development of the approach. Um, started out with Les Greenberg. There's a lot of other people that have been involved in it. Um, you know, like Robert Elliott and Gene Watson and Sandra Pavio and myself and, and many others. And um, and it's it's been developed for both individuals and for couples, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, and and so and it's based on research, right? So we're we like as I mentioned, I keep saying research, but you know, we really like to develop our, our approach through study and through observation and through experience. And and so a lot of the research that's been done to develop it has been um been about uh observing ourselves observing the process and then allowing that to inform the theory and then there's this theory that we've developed and it's it's really written down in a number of books and and in a number of books that i've co-authored as a matter of fact so and there's many books out there and there's many authors so yeah okay so I'm going to share my screen. Just let me know if you mm-hmm. can see the screen. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up your, um, you know, faculty page at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Uh, yeah. And if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about Dr. Goldman, you can go to this page. And she has a nice, uh, well-written biography in here. But she also includes some of her professional memberships, her academic journey as well, presentations, mm-hmm. areas of exper- expertise. And you mentioned some of the publications as well. And so I brought up the screen to show that it shows some of your uh, recent publications and even had some more recent ones here as well. I think the most recent is this one. And this one is providing emotion focused therapy online. And this was uh, (laughs) just back in August of 2021. And I think that's very relevant and and timely now because of Uh people going through COVID and and providing this. And even before we started recording this podcast, you and I talked about, hey, the advantages and disadvantages. Mm -hmm. So I I think we timed out there. Our connection uh, disconnected for a second. So I I wanted to make sure that I give you the opportunity to talk about what are your thoughts on the advantages and disadvantages of meeting uh-huh. people online and providing that therapy online versus in person? Uh-huh. Yeah, so very topical, very you know apropos to the to the times. Um, yeah, and I saw that you had put the providing emotion focused therapy online video that I made last year. Um, so that's available as as you as you pointed out. Um, yeah, so about the question. So you're you're just asking what are the advantages and, and disadvantages of, of well um the greatest thing about uh doing therapy online is that we can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like that so that was the <laughs> that was the big discovery through the pandemic, right? I mean, I didn't do any therapies online prior to the pandemic and then suddenly we were just thrown into it right and and it was like oh my gosh thank god we can do this right 
And I was nervous, but um, I found it's possible. And and like another thing that I haven't really talked about with therapy I do is that I do this. Um, I work with people in chairs in therapy and I have them have dialogues with different parts of themselves in chairs. It's a big kind of part of what I do. And I thought, oh, no, you know, am I going to be able to do chair work online, you know, through the computer and and so, and in fact, yes, you can, you know, you, it involves a little bit more setup, right? So you've got to make sure that the chairs are visible through the camera. You've got to make sure the microphone works when they move different positions, but uh, it's, it's highly doable. So, so that's been really fascinating. And in that um, video that you, that you flashed up there for a second, that, that's what I demonstrate um, how I do chair work with a client. Um, so there are those advantages. There's some, obviously, like I was mentioning before, this bodily felt experience, the visceral, you know, it's a little bit harder to get a sense of the client's experience online. Um, and so you have to, sometimes you have to sort of ask a few more exploratory questions to sort of see, like, is that what's happening? What's happening for you? If you're not able to read what's going on in their body, um, you also, I think for me, I have to be more aware of what's going on for me and verbalize it, right? Because I think you do have to remember that we can only see people from here up. And so there might be all kinds of things going on underneath that you don't know about. And um, and so sometimes um, I will just remember that, oh, what I feel is is something that I have to communicate more verbally now because the nonverbals are, we have less dimensionality in our nonverbals, right? We have uh, fewer of the, <laughs> to, to rely upon. So sometimes I have to verbalize my, my feelings to my clients and say, you know, I, you know, I, w- I wish I could be right beside you right now because it sounds like this is very painful for you. Um, and, and so just like that, uh, but I, but it's it's like also amazing that this is so can be done, you know, and and effectively, you know, yes. people find it helpful still. You're not the only person who has mentioned that that uh, it, it was a savior that we realized. You know, the pandemic unfortunately mm-hmm. has a lot of negative uh, impacts, but the positive is that it opened up the door for the you know the um, remote sessions and the online sessions that uh, a lot of people probably didn't do before the pandemic, such as you. So I'm sharing my screen once again to. If you, if you wanted to know a little bit more about Rhonda's uh, work and, and her publications, just do a simple search online and you'll find some on Amazon. And another fairly recent one was uh, about a year ago, uh, March 23rd, uh, 2021, Deliberate Practice in Emotion-Focused Therapy. And then, of course, you can you can find some of her other work down uh, down below. What I found interesting, if, if you're seeing the screen, is some of your work is in, in different languages as well. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> so. right. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking too. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that Italian edition cover. That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so. that's right. Yeah, there's quite a number of languages. And also they've been translated into uh, Korean and um, to Mandarin, to Chinese. So... I think I saw the German one there, but yeah, things have been translated into other languages, definitely. And I mentioned during the intro that uh, you run your own emotion-focused therapy private practice, uh, and it's called Emotion-Focused Therapy Chicago. When mm-hmm. when did you know uh, that you wanted to open up your own practice? And tell us a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that evolved as well. Um you know, I was pretty focused on the academic thing and the teaching and, and I was always all along I've been doing uh, psychotherapy. And I, I see myself doing the psychotherapy as really fundamental for my teaching and for my research, right? Because it's so grounded in it. So I've always kept that going. So I've always had a, a kind of small private practice along the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sort of, a few years ago, though, I broke out and did more independent just working on my own doing that and um and started this institute and, and yeah so so 
yeah, that's kind of what happened. <laughs> okay. And so when you're referring to the Institute, uh, you're talking about the Emotion Focused Therapy Institute or EFTI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's something that I formed also with uh, some of my colleagues and supervisees who are interested in emotion focused therapy. Um, and yeah, I think that's what you've got up on the screen now. That's right. Uh, and so there's some others, uh, Whitney, Sean and Eileen. Mm -hmm. um, so, so they also uh, were connected and through this emotion focused therapy institute and they also offer emotion focused therapy um yeah i mean i think in general it's just for me it's always been quite organic in terms of um i want to be able to practice this therapy and and so i'll open up an institute i want to be able to teach other people how to do it it's such a you know, from grad, from really, this goes back to graduate school. In graduate school, I got bit by the bug, right? That's what I always say. And then I, and I saw this is such a powerful approach, and I can really help people with it. And I've had so much, so much success doing that that I thought, okay, you know, like other people, I want to train other people to do it, right? And and mm -hmm. and so then I, and then when it, you know, EFT is such a interesting therapy and it's it's such a like a full package that when people experience it then they tend to say i love this right i mean you know not everybody obviously it's not for everybody not everything's for everybody but but when people love eft they love it and mm -hmm. and so and they because they see it it's just such a powerful approach and and so really you know people want that kind of training and, and forming these this institute was a way to try to do that to disseminate to, to convey this and to train other people as well so i i kept the screen up and sharing it with you because mm -hmm. i wanted to highlight down below because a lot of people might mm -hmm. think you know I, I wanted to highlight this uh down below yeah. that i have highlighted efti yeah. or the institute facilitates training workshops and educational opportunities for therapists psychologists interested in using eft in their professional practices so uh, mm -hmm. I, I i kept that up there because it, it's a different approach it's it's training the the therapists and the psychologists on how to yeah. incorporate eft in a uh, professional and effective impactful manner and and so i i applaud you yeah. for for providing that service because as i mentioned earlier a lot of people might not have even you know, covered EFT and how do I how do I get um, experience in utilizing that and incorporating that into my practice? And so uh, that's why I kept it up there for you. So yeah, 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 yeah. So you can right. So this is also for people who. So I teach in the as we talked about. I teach in the at the Chicago School in this ID program. So and that's a degree program. People end up with this ID at the end. Um, but I also do these trainings for. Um, for adult learners, you know, for, for psychotherapists who have been trained and then they want to get some more specific training in emotion-focused therapy. And, you know, I do see this as a lifelong learning endeavor. And so and people, I'm always still in the process of learning. And, and I think people often want more specific training once they get out into the field too, right? They want to they go, oh, I want to get more training in this. This is um, really important. I need to be able to figure out how to people help people to deepen their emotions. Uh, how do you do that chair work thing? So, mm -hmm. so that's where that comes in. And and we do those trainings in different parts of the world too, right? So I, I yeah. So I also wanted to uh, just touch on real quickly. I'm going to share my screen again. You're also mm -hmm. a founding yeah. board member of the International Society yeah. of Emotion Focused Therapy, or ISEFT. Tell us more about how and why you 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 found this opportunity with uh, ISEFT. Yeah. So then you've kind of covered all the bases here, right? With uh, your research about me, that's great. Um, and so you've got the board members up there. And so, yeah, as you said, I'm a founding board member of International Society for Emotional Focused Therapy. And we really formed this because, as I said before, people are 
wanting, you know, it gives people a home. It gives people um, an, a sense of identity. When people uh, get interested in emotional focus therapy, they often want, and they find it so engaging and so powerful, they they often want more, right? And, and then they sort of identify very strongly with it. And so we formed a community and, and yeah, we, we found like this is a good way to create a kind of presence for people in a home so that they can come to um, to maybe figure out how to do more workshops, how to how to train more. Um, and or or you know, and we have a listserv, and so there's always a lot of kind of activity and people throw out questions about psychotherapy practice on the listserv and how do you deal with this or you know what about you know forgiveness and how does that work in therapy or whatever the topic and and so and then we have a conference that we run every couple years we've had to sort of slow that down with the pandemic but but we have a conference and people attend and and everybody comes together and talks about new developments in emotion focused therapy and so um, yeah, we we created this really to essentially give people a home, give people a sense of identity and belonging, and also to disseminate. Uh, and and we are connected. We're sort of this overarching umbrella organization that connects together a lot of institutes from across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're in we're on literally we have institutes you know, all on different continents right like mm-hmm. and i mean that you know north america south america europe asia um so we we really are connecting people that way another home now that you kind of mentioned that i'm i'm sharing mm-hmm. my screen again is is sepi mm-hmm. and, and i know that is yeah, yeah, and I, I know that uh, you were also a past president for the Society for the Exploration yeah. of Psychotherapy Integration, and yeah. I'm sharing the main website here, but I also wanted to point out that you you did a webinar some time ago during the uh-huh. pandemic, and <laughs> and I found that on, on the website as well, because CEPI uh, has a, a separate uh, webinar recordings area, yeah. and, and you... Yeah. You did one called Working with Emotions in Therapy, the EFT Way, a fireside chat with uh, basically Les Greenberg, yourself, and uh, Alberta Paws. Did I say the name right? Correct. Uh And I found this uh, actually pretty interesting. And and so this is just Uh another forum through which people can um, find another home and and network um, for different ideas and and very good information on this website as well. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved with CEPI. Yeah, so CEPI is another academic home, isn't it? Um, And I got involved with CEPI when I was a graduate student as well. And so all these little seeds got planted when I was a graduate student, right? And then I was attending conferences. And and is great because, you know, it really, I mean, people may be familiar that there's, they, they look around and they say like, wow, there's so many different types of psychotherapy. Where do I start? And what if I like, you know, more than one? And and how am I going to integrate these things? And and are they all really so different? Or what about the similarities? So, um, so psychotherapy, so, so CEPI provides this kind of academic uh, home for people who want to talk to each other. Like you may be a psychodynamic therapist and, you know, but you're interested in EFT and you want to learn something about it. And, and so this is a place where people from across therapeutic orientations can actually dialogue with each other and learn and integrate new things into their practice maybe, or talk about theoretical integration. And, and so it really, you don't have to like give up your home orientation. This is the way I think of it. Um, Cause I'm still very identified with EFT. You don't have to give it up. You can still have that, but then you have to acknowledge that there's lots of knowledge in the field and, and practices that people have engaged working with all different types of clients. And you might really learn something if you go and talk to people. So, so that's, that's what that really allows for. Well, good. I know that you had mentioned and I had mentioned earlier that, um, you know, this is a way, these forums are a way for you, especially CEPI, 
to mm -hmm. integrate uh, different types of therapy into mm -hmm. your approaches. And, you know, this is mm -hmm. just a, a sampling of the different yeah, types look of at therapy. That. You know, look at all these different uh, uh, therapy types. And I wanted to point out for our audience that EFT it, don't get it confused with emotional freedom technique. Yes. Uh, and there are some other acronyms <laughs> that use EFT as well. But EFT yeah. down here, we, we actually did a, a little bit of research on this and give a summary. And, and you were yeah. kind enough to to point out, hey, Brad, would you would you mind if I work with you to update this a little bit? So I appreciate yeah. your offer yeah. to, to do that. But uh, for those yeah. who are interested in the different types, especially EFT, uh, you could go to the website and, yeah. and just search online as well. But uh, I wanted to thank you for your your uh, uh, willingness to help us update that specific area on our uh, yeah. website as yeah. well. So. Yeah, and, uh, and just like I see that, you know, you also mentioned Susan Johnson and and there, and she's been a part of the development of the couples. And um, she now, you know, so she originally developed that approach with, uh, Les Greenberg back when she was a graduate student <laughs> mm -hmm. um, back in the 1980s. And then she kind of went off with it and took it in her particular direction, which mm -hmm. is a sort of very strong focus on attachment. And then actually I went back with Les and I, because I was working with Les Greenberg and we updated it as well. And we focus on attachment. We also focus on identity, which is another kind of important dimension in people's uh, relationships. So, so, you know, now you almost have like these two strands, which is like that Susan Johnson and her crew are doing a lot of the emotionally focused and we do the emotion focused and um, emotion focused is you know based in part on the individual and in part on the couples. So um, yeah, but you're right. I, I also will try to reflect that in the website too. And, and you brought it up, so I might as well bring up my screen one more time. There's a little excerpt from, <laughs> from a, a training you did and an, an interview you did mm. with uh, emotion-focused couple therapy. And this is just a yeah. clip. And uh, I listened to this a couple times. And one thing that, that stood out for me was the main question for this clip was, you know, what were some of the main themes that presented in your therapy sessions with couples? And, and you at that point said there were uh, attachment and identity themes and attachment yeah. being closeness, connection, affiliation, and then the, the uh, identity themes uh, regarding recognition and validation. And so for those of you yeah. who are interested in that, uh, I'll provide a link for this YouTube video as well. And then oh, you had another you. longer YouTube video uh, with this gentleman as well. And this mm -hmm. leads me to my next question that I kind mm -hmm. of talked to you a little bit before we started the recording is back in 2016, he asked you what if you were going through uh, therapy yourself, what would your ideal uh, therapist look like? And, and, uh, your answer, just to remind you, you don't have to, I'm not yeah, going to put you I on the spot. Your answer, like, what did I say? <laughs> yeah, your answer was acceptance, first of all, and then the ability mm -hmm. to establish a strong connection and the ability to take the client deeper and explore deeper emotions. And, uh, anything else that you'd like to add to that since uh, 2016, <laughs> the ideal therapist, any other, uh, characteristics or attributes that you'd, uh, uh talk about the ideal therapist. Um, I think that was a pretty good answer. I, I it, it sounds happy. good to me. So, so <laughs> I think, yeah, just like it, what I think, and and I because I I'm so involved in training a therapist, you know, I think it's like not being afraid <laughs> to go deeper into the mm -hmm. people's emotions. I think people really want that actually, and mm -hmm. and they they need that. Um, and I think you need that for change to happen. So, you know, people who are trained to ex more experientially are like, like that's that's really important for me. That's what I see as so important for a therapist. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm I'm okay with the answer. That was good. 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 So <laughs> good to not you know, look back and regret, right? It's right. Like, oh my right. God! I can't believe I said that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it might it might have evolved a little bit. And the reason I asked that question yeah. is now that we're mo doing more of it online, there are yeah. different attributes, you know, that You're you right. have to consider uh, online versus in person when you were, you know, basing your your answer on in person type of uh, um, uh, psychotherapy. So, 
you know, you're, you're doing a lot. You're, you're very busy. What's the most mm-hmm. challenging part of balancing all of your jobs and your responsibilities? So balancing, you said it. That's mm-hmm. the most challenging part is how to balance them, right? And mm-hmm. and also to remember that I need to I need some downtime mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes, and I need to be able to to relax, come back to my body, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and so um, and sometimes to slow down. So, so like, you know, because as you said, and as I've said, like, I get so excited and I talk about, I did this and I did that. And it's true. I'm really excited. There's, I, I'm truly excited about all the different things I do. And I wouldn't trade that, you know, I wouldn't trade in that variety. I think that diversity and that variety is so important, but um, it does involve like taking this hat off, putting that hat on, you know, like it, that, that's a lot. And sometimes it does get overwhelming. And so it's, um, it's just like trying to balance that and trying to come back to myself and trying to breathe, ground myself, continue to um, remember about my body, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, taking care of it. And, and so, so yeah, like, I think that's the biggest challenge is, is just creating balance. Yeah. You know, you brought up something that I saw many of your videos and webinars and uh, one thing, that, that came into my mind while you were answering that question was being in tune with yourself. And, and mm-hmm. one thing that I remember from some of your webinars is in order to become a stronger EFT professional, mm-hmm. you kept saying you need to go through your own process, develop your own emotional awareness, imagine yeah. what it would be like if you were the client. And, and in order to become a better EFT professional, you almost have to go through that emotional process and open yourself up uh, to that process yourself in order to better become an EFT professional. Is that a good summary? Yeah, I think that that's really true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, is there anything you wish you had known about psychology ahead of time before choosing this career path? Uh, I don't, you know, I my mother was a psychologist and so I kind of had a little bit of a bird's eye view in that respect. Um, she was more focused on assessment. Um, and, and so I actually didn't want to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of knew that. So I, I don't know if there's anything I wish I knew, I guess maybe the, the idea that psychology really is so diverse right? Like there's so much you can do with a degree, especially in clinical psychology, because there's that applied, you can do mm-hmm. that. Therapy, you can do research and, you know, you can do neuropsychology now, you can do like, there is so much you can do with it. So all I would um, answer to that is, I wish I knew how much there was to offer. I mean, and I think that's why you have what you're doing is trying to help people sort through all that mm-hmm. psychology has and try to find their track within it. Right. And so I think that's really great because people need some guidance, I think, along those lines, because there is so much out there. Um, so, yeah, I just, I think I wish that I knew, all, but I did know a lot. I was lucky in that regard, but I, I would have liked to know, Oh, you know, there's, you know, whatever you decide you want to do, you go and you start graduate school and then you may go in one direction or another. when my students come in and I, we always ask them at the beginning, what is, what do you, why do you come here? What, what do you want to do with the degree? And they, and I really, I love it when they say I'm open, right? Like I, I just, I, I like the field and I want to learn and that's why I'm here. And, mm-hmm. and I'll, you know, I'll figure it out as I go and you can. Very good answer. Good suggestion, too, about uh, being open and reminding yourself, don't at the time you're making that decision, you might have some blinders on or you might be Mm -hmm. ignorant to the fact that there's all these other, you know, opportunities or fields or types or, you know, career Mm -hmm. choices that you haven't even considered. And and you're exactly right. That's kind of our goal of our podcast is to bring on wide variety of experiences, journeys, and then help uh, people understand what is out there uh, in that field because it's a large field as you mentioned it's some, yeah some uh, goals and plans for the future 
So I know that you've accomplished a lot. What are looking forward? What are some goals or plans that you have? Um, well, it's really this thing of continuing to develop emotion-focused therapy, continuing to disseminate um, through all the means that I can do it, um, books, workshops, um, writing, communicating, getting the word out there, um, doing things like this, podcasts, <laughs> um, social media, mm-hmm. um, you know, but but like that, those are communication devices and, and really continuing to develop the approach is is really important for me and training the next generation mm-hmm. uh, of uh, emotion-focused therapists. So we usually end the podcast with a few uh, fun questions that I, I ask mm-hmm. my guests. And okay. The first one I already know the answer to, but I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase it a little bit for you. Okay. Usually I usually I ask, "What is your favorite term, principle, or theory, and why?" Well, mm-hmm. my gosh, EFT, EFT, EFT. So other than EFT, can you think <laughs> of another favorite term, principle, or theory? Um. Okay. Well. I know you're trying to divert me, but I'm still going to probably end up coming back to it. But still, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I like the term "the body keeps the score," you know, oh. and that that's a term that um, that's a phrase, I guess, that uh, Basil Vandercock kind of coined in his um, in his book, the title of his one of his more recent books, um, and I think um, another thing is. Um, and it's all related to emotion, right? But but um, the only way out is through. And mm-hmm. so this is the same idea that you have to, you know, so, so both of those things together, you can think like you you got to go down, you got to go into emotional experience in order to come through it and come out of it. But you will come out of it, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're not going to, if it's difficult or painful, then you'll, you'll find ways out. And then, you know, you'll find emotion, like positive emotions is the way through and a way out. Um, and if you do that with the help of a really good therapist, that really, that really seems to work. And I've seen it work. Um, and then the idea of the body keeps the score yeah, is, is like that we have these emotional memories that we, that we hold and that um, inform us and they become like testimonials mm-hmm. that, uh, to our lives. And, and so I think it's really very important. Um, and, and there are therapists out there who are, not just me, who are saying this as well. Um, and writers and authors, you know, who I haven't even talked about, I think of um, Antonio Damasio as well. The, the, the talk about the importance of, the, of going into your emotions and going to your feelings and going to your body, mm-hmm. because that's where these emotional memories are. And the, if we can go there, then we have the opportunity to transform, right? And to find meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we, as humans, we need meaning, right? It's, 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 and we, we need meaning to live. So, so I think like the body has these emotional meanings and these emotional memories. And they're telling us what we feel and what we need. And so we got to go to them and listen to them mm-hmm. and come through them so that, and sometimes we want to change them. If you've been, if you've been traumatized, these bodily felt memories are difficult they're still there and you got to still try to listen to them and find out what you need to, to feel and, and see and meet what, what, what meaning they have, but you can also transform them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and you can transform them by going into them. So, so that's a long answer to your question that kind of guts to the heart of it. Perfect. Perfect. Do you have any other advice for those interested in the field of psychology or those wanting to learn more about EFT or incorporate EFT into their own practice? Um, look for me online. If you mm-hmm. want to learn more about EFT, we have workshops, we have institutes, there's other institutes in North America and then around the world where these trainings are happening. Um, and just general advice for people who are wanting to study psychology or, mm-hmm. is just, Follow your passion. I mean, I know that I always say that to people. Um, and and I, I don't mean to sound, you know, trite or, but 
it's true, right? What interests you? What are you curious about? What are you passionate about? All of those questions. Ask yourself those questions because I think that's where the answer is. Very good answer. Kind of a fun question here. If yeah. you had the time and money to complete one project or go on one trip, what would you do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that's hard. Um, I think you stumped me. So because it's the one thing, right? Because like I, yeah. I, I have more than one. Yeah, well, that, you can talk about anything. If you had the time yeah. and money, what would okay. you do um, with you know a, a project or a trip? Yeah. Well, I would probably start here, actually, and where I am, and and develop, uh, you know, the Emotion Focus Therapy Institute more, mm -hmm. and but like you know a much sort of bigger infrastructure as a way to try to do more dissemination, do more training, do more research, etc. And then I would go and I'd do that somewhere in Europe as well, some beautiful place mm -hmm. on on you know on on a lake or I would do it somewhere um in a beautiful setting in a forest. And maybe I would build different institutes in different parts of the world. Um and I'd go to other continents and start doing that. Like that that would be that's my dream that sounds wonderful i can i can yeah. you, you almost painted the picture for me that sounds wonderful yeah. especially Places. i'm in yeah i'm in minnesota and we're uh, at, at 7 yeah. degrees i came back from uh, a trip last night to, to uh, a winter storm mm -hmm. and you oh just boy. described yeah you just described a nice european uh, you know setting for me to i've been to greece and i immediately thought yeah. of the island of crete and 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 uh, yes. the views that i had there so no, very yeah. good answer. Um, so combine <laughs> that because I love travel and, and you know I love these beautiful settings that you're describing, and to combine that with learning to do you know self self exploration and learning to do uh, psychotherapy, um, it sounds like the whole package. Is there anything else that you would like to bring up or discuss in this podcast? Um. I think you've touched on on a lot, uh, and you've been really thorough in your your research. Um, I I think that that's pretty good. Okay, well, I, I really appreciate your time and willingness to share your thoughts and your your experiences, Rhonda. Thanks again for sharing your story and advice with us. Thank you, thank you for this opportunity to talk with you, and I think what you're doing is excellent and. Uh, and I love it. And, and, you know, just thanks for all your research and your great questions. So appreciate uh, you taking the time and, and I appreciate the support and kind words. Thanks. All right. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Psychology podcast. If you want to learn more about our guest or listen to other podcasts, you can visit our website, mastersinpsychology.com, where you can search through all of the schools in the United States that offer advanced degrees in psychology. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, or share.